Well, today we are continuing, next week we will finish it, our current message series called Simply. And today we are looking at the subject, Simply Church. Simply Church. Now, honestly, we could teach a whole seminar on this subject, like the Bible talks a lot about the subject of the church and uses lots and lots of illustrations and pictures to describe what the church is. And, uh, but we don't have time to do all that. We're doing the simple version of it, Simply Church. Now, I'm teaching an academy class three nights in October, and we will be looking at how to find your fit in the body of Christ, and we'll be looking at a lot about the church. But today, we're just looking at the, the most simple version of the church. Now, I don't know if you're aware of this, but the word church, Jesus only used that word twice. In all of the four Gospels, there are only two occasions where Jesus used the word church. So, if Jesus was going to be, um, what would the word be? If he was going to be careful about talking about the church, if he was going to limit himself on the topic of the church, then I'm presuming he's limiting himself to the important things, okay? to the simple things, the basic things. And so let's just have a look at this, this uh, passage here. It's actually two passages. It's from Matthew 16 and Matthew 18. And here are the only two times that Jesus mentioned the word church. So the first one, Matthew 16 verse 18 says this, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Now, we'll just pause there. We'll talk about that first bit, first of all. I will build my church. Now, Jesus, before this, now, I just want to give you the kind of background to it. This took place in a particular location. If you go and find the story and you read it all, you'll find out. This took place in a particular location. Now, if you go and look up some history books about that location, that location had a bad reputation. That location had a big cave. There was a big cave there that went in with deep passages, almost like a kind of lab, natural labyrinth or something like that. And the popular superstition was that that was the doorway to Hades, the underworld, the scary place. In the Greek language, the word Hades could mean three things. It could simply mean to be dead, or it could mean a hell-like place called Hades, or it could mean a kind of demonic god who ruled over the hell-like place called Hades. Like, I think there's been some Disney cartoons where, there's, where Hades is in it, isn't there? I can't remember what one that is. But anyway, so he's like the demonic-like god that lives in Hades, or it's the hellish-like place called Hades, or it's just the experience of being dead. So it can mean any of that, being dead, being dead and in hell, or being dead and in hell and under the rulership of this bad dude called Hades. So that was a kind of common superstition that was there. And right there, they actually built two places of worship. One place of worship to the emperor Caesar. 
for people who worship government. You know, there's lots of people who worship government. There's lots of people that instead of believing that God supplies all their needs, they think the government's supposed to supply all of their needs, right? So, for people who worship government, you could worship Caesar there, or you could worship the demonic goat-legged god Pan. And so, that was there as well, and people believed that this gate was Pan's grotto, and Pan was a demonic god, and I know like if you see the line, the witch in the wardrobe, it's the little fawn goes about with its goat's legs, and it's nice, but in the actual, it's kind of like mermaids, you know? If you've seen the little mermaid, oh, they're beautiful, and they sing, la, 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 but if you actually read the original <laughs> mythology, mermaids are bad people. You're like, do not get involved with the mermaids, okay? And uh, it was the same with this, like Pan was a bad dude. I mean, it was all kinds of perversion and human sacrifice and child, all kinds of terrible things would go on there at this evil demonic place. And it was standing right at this evil demonic place that Jesus said, I will build my church, and everything that is evil, whether it's evil and demonic or evil from the government or from human beings, anything that tries to stop it, if the government tries to stop the church, if the devil tries to stop the church, if anything tries to stop the church, it will fail because the church is not a human organization. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is building His church. No devil no government, no circumstance, nothing can stop Jesus. You can throw us all in jail, but Jesus is alive. He is risen from the dead, and He is building His church all over the world. There, there are countries where you can be put to death for publicly preaching about Jesus, and the governments think, ha, 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 we've stopped the church there. Do you know what happens? We hear thousands of stories of people waking up and saying, a man appeared to me in a dream, and it, he said his name was Jesus, and I should follow him. Nothing can stop God building his church, okay? I will build my church. And the gates of Hades, even death won't stop it. Even if they martyr my people, that won't stop the church. Even if they kill me, the Savior, I will rise again on the third day. No matter what people do, they cannot stop the church. The church is big, it's mighty, and it's supernatural. And then in the very next verse that we're going to look at, not only is the church mighty, big, and supernatural, it's also small, relational, and filled with human problems. Look at this. If your brother sins against you, post on Facebook, I'm not going back to that church ever again. Is that what Jesus said? I mean, it always amazes me, you know, when I hear stories, somebody left a church. Why did you leave the church? Because someone never smiled at them or something like that. And it's like, do you have a family? Do your teenage children smile at you first thing every morning? Or do they scowl and grunt? And when they do that, do you say, I'm leaving this family. I'm going to find a better family down the road. No, you don't. They're your family. Look, if your brother sins against you, pull your big boy or big girl pants on, 
right? Mature up and deal with it. He says, go to him and show him his fault, but do it privately and not on social media, just between yourselves. If he listens to you, you have won your brother back. Do you, do you see the point? If somebody offends you or sins against you, the point of going and talking to them is not to put them in their place or prove that you're right and they're wrong, but to reconcile the relationship. It is possible to be friends with someone and vote for different political parties, by the way. It is possible to come to the same church and have a different interpretation of tithing or the second coming of Christ that somebody else does in the church. We still have the same God, the same Father, the same Savior. We're all indwelt by the same Spirit. We're worshiping, singing the same songs. It, you do not have... If somebody disagrees with, with some thought that passes through your head, it doesn't mean they hate you and they want you to die, okay? It just means that the little electrical charge that went through their neural passageways was slightly different at that moment than the little electrical charge. It was nothing personal, okay? And so our goal is not to sort people out, but to reconcile relationships. And he says, and, uh, but if they won't listen to you, take one or two other people with you so that every accusation may be upheld by the testimony of two or more witnesses, as the Scripture says. I think it goes on. Does it go on after that, or did I stop there? Yeah. And if he will not listen to them, tell the whole thing to the church. This is the second time he mentions the church. <clears throat> now, tell it to the church doesn't mean gossip to everybody in the church. <laughs> There's only one example in the Bible of this happening. And it was when there was a controversy in the church because Gentiles were being saved and coming in and they weren't living according to the Jewish laws and the church was going to split. And so they decided, and people had a complaint and they were complaining about it. And so they decided to take it to the church. And all that meant was the apostles and the elders got together, talked about it and prayed and asked God for a solution. And they got the solution and it was fine. It didn't mean they gossiped to everybody. Okay, so, and then he says this, Finally, if they will not listen to the church, treat him as though he were a pagan or a tax collector. Now, I've met some people that think it means, oh, you're a pagan, get away from me. Now, maybe a tax collector, you might want to get away from them, but how do we treat non-believers? We try to win them, don't we? So you're if you're going to treat them as someone outside the church, you're still wanting to win them back and be reconciled. And then he says this, for I tell you the truth, whatever you, he's talking to about his church, forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Now that is a funny phrase. Whatever you forbid on earth, when God's people come together, they have some kind of power to permit certain things to happen in the world and to forbid certain things from happening in the world. And in order to understand that, we need to know what the word church is. So let's look now. The word church in Greek is actually the word ecclesia. I'm going to put the definition up here. Ecclesia. You, you can also pronounce it ecclesia. Ecclesia or ecclesia, kind of like tomato, tomato, okay? Even though tomato's the right one. 
Uh, you, you can also spell it with two C's or two K's. It seems kind of trendy at the moment to use two K's. So that's how we're doing it here. The definition of ecclesia. The, an ecclesia, or a, the word that we translate church, had no religious meaning whatsoever. None. An ecclesia was this. In a Greek city state, um, there were people who were citizens and people who were non-citizens. In fact, in many states throughout the Roman Empire, the majority of people who lived in a city were not citizens. Citizens were in the minority in a lot of cities, okay? So in a city, there was lots of people, and amongst all these people, scattered amongst them all, there were citizens of that city. And the ecclesia was when all of the citizens were called together to come out of all the communities where they lived and come together and the citizens could make decisions, decisions that would benefit their own lives, their own businesses, and so on, and would also become law that would affect the rest of the city. And whatever the ecclesia, whatever the, whatever the citizens of that city decided when they met together, Back in headquarters in Rome, the Roman Empire would rubber stamp it and give it its approval. If that's what you know needs to be done in your city, boom, that's fine. And Jesus doesn't use a religious word. He doesn't say, I will build my synagogue. He doesn't say, I will build my temple. He doesn't say, I will build my cathedral. He says, I will build my ecclesia. Because, you see, Jesus didn't intend to start a religion. He is the king of a kingdom, and we are the citizens of the kingdom of God. And God's ecclesia, God's church, is when we, who are citizens of the kingdom of heaven and are scattered everywhere throughout our community, when we are called out of our communities to gather together as the ecclesia, as the church, we come together and we do things which benefit our own lives, which benefit our own families, and also which has a positive spiritual effect on the city or the community to which we are a part. When we pray and when we forbid evil from working in our city, back in headquarters in heaven, God rubber stamps that and says, yes, I want evil stopped in your city. When we gather together and worship and ask for the presence of God to come and we pray for our unsafe family members to come to know Christ and for our city to be changed, when we release blessings into our lives and into our communities back in heaven, God rubber stamps that and he releases the blessings. What we forbid is forbidden. What we permit is permitted. Do you realize the power we have as citizens of the kingdom of God called out and gathered together as God's ecclesia, as, as a community of people with the power to make history-changing decisions and pray life-changing 
prayers because we don't have Caesar and the Roman Empire behind us. We've got Jesus and the entire kingdom of God behind us. That is what the word church means. It is the ecclesia. It is God's citizens. Sometimes we are the church scattered throughout our places of work and study and residence. And sometimes we are the church gathered together where we can pray, where we can believe, and where God will move in response to what we are doing. Let me just tell you my experience of church. When I was a kid, I was taken along to church, a kind of mainstream denominational church on a Sunday. And uh, that went on for quite a number of years, and I was taken along there. And I never heard, I heard about God. We sang hymns, um, I, and I did learn some Bible stories, but I never heard the gospel. I never realized how this applied to our lives. I don't know that anybody in that place knew that they were a lost sinner and needed a Savior. Uh, if, they, if they did, they never heard it from the pulpit, I don't think. And so we would go into this place where we would, we would sit in uncomfortable wooden pews, and everything was quiet. Everything was quiet, apart from an organ. Mm-hmm. Nobody spoke. I mean, there was no, hey, oh, good to see you there, buddy. None of that. Everybody sat, right? And then a man would walk in. A man with funny clothes would walk in holding a big Bible. And he would mount these stairs and put them down. And then behind them would come another man with a bald head and a white collar and black robes. And he would come up. And then he would go up. And then everything was done formally. And everything was said in a form of, let us rise, you know. And, And I noticed you know, afterwards they would have tea and coffee, and I, I, I did hear the, the pastor speaking, and he had two different voices. He had his tea and coffee voice, and then the prayer voice, you know, and, I, and so I just thought maybe God liked a funny voice or something like that. And the other thing was, he would sit in a big wooden throne, and there was two slightly smaller wooden thrones next to him that a couple of people, elders, I don't know who, sat there as well. And because we would often sing this thing, praise God, from whom all blessings flow, praise it, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, you know that thing? So I thought heaven must look like a church. Like when we go to heaven, we must all sit in wooden. I mean, I remember, I actually remember as a kid thinking as I dropped my coin and it rolled six pews away and my mother nudged me and all of that. <laughs> I, I remember thinking heaven's going to be really boring if it's like this church, it's going to be really, really boring. But I suppose boring is better than like hell, at least, you know, so I suppose it's better, right? And I pictured heaven, in heaven we were all going to sit in silence in wooden pews, and God would sit on a big throne, and Jesus would sit in a slightly smaller throne, and Casper the friendly ghost would sit, because they talked about the Holy Ghost, all I could picture was Casper, the friendly ghost. And that's what I thought heaven was, boring, dusty, dry, because that was what church was like. But that's not church. Church isn't a building. Church isn't pews. Church isn't, church isn't formal. You, you could have a church in a place like that. You could do church, but that's not what church is. 
Then, of course, I gave up going to church. I went on my rebellious way. I became the prodigal son. Then Jesus Christ saved me, and my life was turned around, and I was taken to church. And I, I went to two kinds of churches as a young Christian. The first kind of church I was taken to was a house church. And I was taken to this house where there was about 35 people in this room, and they were all normal people, and no one spoke with this voice. In fact, when they prayed, they used slang words. In fact, I even remember somebody asking the Lord to take all the BS out of his life, but he said, like he actually said the full words, you know, while he was praying, Lord, I've got, my life is full of all this, you know, and just get it all out of my life. And so I thought, these are normal people, and they talk normally. And I gathered together with them in this house church, and, and they would worship, and they would sing, and like the atmosphere would change, and the hairs in the back of my arms would stand up, and I would think there's something going on in here, and people would sing in tongues, and a prophecy would come forth, and they would pray for someone to be healed, and someone would share a Bible study, and then they would all have cookies and drinks and things afterwards, and then nobody wanted to go home, and it was like, it was great! And there was like three or four leaders over it that were really mature Christians. And then on Sundays, I would go to Sunday church. So on Friday nights, I went to like house church. And Sunday mornings, I went to Sunday church. And Sunday church was a bigger thing where there was lots of groups gathered together. And yes, that was a little bit more formal. There wasn't enough room for spontaneity. If Sister Brown up in the back row has an ingrowing toenail, she's not going to shout out and ask us to pray for her, you know, because there's lots of people here and we've got limited time. She does that in the house church, but not in the big church. And that was my experience. My experience was that we would go to these smaller informal groups and there were real pastors, not just people that were called pastors, like real pastors, spiritual fathers and mothers who would love you, encourage you, meet with you, disciple you, answer your questions. And then we would go to these bigger gatherings where we would all come together and there were Bible teachers and people with a prophetic edge or an evangelist would preach or whatever. And these people would also visit the house churches as well. And as I, as a young Christian, was reading the Gospels of Jesus and the book of Acts, all of a sudden I realized this is what the church was like in Bible times. Not this formal thing with, with all of this formality and dryness and coldness. It was warm. It was alive. It, it was real human beings who, who, have, who really mess up and have got real sins in their life and real quirky personalities and some of them are quite eccentric, and yet God seems to love them all, and has brought them all together, and He's mixing us all into this big, this big community together where we are knowing Him and growing in Him as a family. That's what church is supposed to be like, people. Let's just quickly read a few verses that show us uh, pictures of the church. And I want you to show it's always about people and the Lord, people and the Lord. Let's look at the first one. It's about a temple and a spirit. You know, God's spirit dwells in a temple, not this building that we're in. This building is not a temple. I mean, like, this building could be used for anything. It could be used as a, as a, a theater. It could be used to show movies. It could be, we could turn it into a Walmart. I mean, it's just a building. You know, I mean, you could do anything with it. It's a building. No, we are the building. 
you are living stones that God is building in his spiritual temple. God's spirit, God's presence dwells in me and in you. And when we come together, it's like all the stones of the temple being brought together to give praise to God. Let's look at the next one. A bride and a groom. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, I feel a divine jealousy for you, the church at Corinth. Since I promised you as a pure bride to one husband, to Christ. So, again, this is about relationship. The church is the bride and Christ is the groom. And so, he gave his life for his bride. And so, we are supposed to be brought into a personal, a deep relationship with God. Let's look at the next picture of the church. It is salt and light, salt and light. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. Remember, before refrigerators were invented, salt was a way that people kept meat preserved. If you had meat, you could put it in a bucket of salt and it would be kept preserved, and it wouldn't deteriorate as quickly. But if you take that meat out of the salt, if you brush all the salt off it, and you leave it there, that meat will begin to decompose and rot. Jesus is saying that we are what is stopping this world from rotting. We are the preserving agent. We are the salt of the earth. We need to spread our saltiness about every time you find something rotten in society, instead of judging it, instead of condemning it, add a little bit of salt to it. Add a little bit of spirit to it. Add a little bit of God's love and grace to it. We are supposed to be out there in the dark, bad world making it taste better. We are supposed to be out there where everything is bland and bringing new flavor to people's lives. We should be the spice of life in our communities. And not only are we salt, but we are light. Jesus said, uh, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. You know, there are people who do that. It's like, I've become a Christian, and now that the light of Christ has come into my life, I don't want anybody to know it. They might attack me or mock me or whatever. I'll just, I'll just hide my light from everybody. He says, no, don't do that. He says, no, you place it. A lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your Father. What it's saying is this, as people are going through life and they suddenly realize how dark this world is and how dark their life is and how inside, spiritually, all they have is spiritual darkness, they will see a light. They will see the church. They will see Christians. They will see people who have a light in their eyes, who have a skip in their step, who have joy in their heart, who have peace in their mind because they've come to know the Savior, and they will, they will, like a moth to the flame, they will be drawn to that light. 
We are supposed to be salt that makes the world preserved and makes it taste better, and we are supposed to be a light that shows people the direction they should go in and the way they should live. Let's look at the next one. A flock and a shepherd. That again, about relationships, we are God's flock, and He is our shepherd. Now, He looks after His sheep. I mean, this is, I know people sometimes use the word sheep in a negative sense, like, you know, oh, you're one of the government's sheeple or something like that, you know? Uh, but if people are using it in a negative sense, what they're saying is, you know, like a dumb sheep, you're following someone, but what you don't know is that they're dumb too. Hey, but listen, in this analogy, it doesn't matter whether we are dumb or not. You might be intelligent or you might be dumb, and none of that matters because at least, at least the shepherd we are following is not a bad shepherd. He's a good shepherd. We can trust him. We can rely on him. We might not understand everything, but we know he will take us safely to our destination. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know, personally know, my own sheep, and they know me. I remember seeing this uh, uh, testimony once on TV. This woman, newswoman was interviewing this person who had come to Christ, and she said to him, so what was, and he was saying that before he was a Christian, he suffered from insecurities. So she, she said, so basically, you were insecure, and you've joined a group to give you security. Is that what it is? And he laughed and said, lady, you don't get the first thing about this, do you? I have come to know Jesus. That's what's happened to me. I have not adopted a philosophy. I've not joined a religion. I now know Jesus. And isn't that what it says here? I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Look, I, uh, uh, just as my Father knows me, and I uh, know the Father, and I sacrifice my life for the sheep. What else have we got? We've got a body and a head. Christ is also the head of the church, the ecclesia, which is his body. It's kind of like this. You might be the pinky, but the pinky is joined to the hand. You might be a pinky in the body of Christ, but you need to be joined with other Christians. There is no such thing in the Bible as a lone ranger Christian. I'm a Christian. I've put my faith in Christ. I love Jesus. I read the Bible. I listen to podcasts. I don't go to church. I'm not part of any group. There's no such thing as that in the Bible. You are joined to other members of the body, and all of us are joined to the head, which is Christ. Christ is the head, and the church is His body, and every individual one of us is a member of the body. You might be the appendix or the toenail. I don't know, but we're all, we all have a part to play. And then, of course, there's the Father and His family. That is the next image, the Father and His family. 1 John 3, 1, see how much our Father loves us, for He calls us His children, and that is what we are. The people who belong to this world don't recognize us as God's children, because they don't know Him, even though we are now the children 
of God. Everybody show, I am a child of God. I mean, if that's the only revelation you get today, that is enough to make your week go wonderful, I'll tell you. Then, of course, the church meets in different ways. There's the whole church and the house church. I mentioned it in my story about what I experienced as a young Christian, and that's exactly what we find in the Bible. Look, Acts 20, 20, Paul says, I preached and taught you in public and in your homes. And then in 1 Corinthians, he says, when you all come together in one place, the big church, the whole church, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. Do you not have homes to eat or drink in? You see, they would, they would do baptisms publicly. They would do healing publicly. They would do preaching publicly. But they would also meet in smaller groups in homes. They would have potlucks together. They would take communion during the potluck. They would pray for one another. They would do a Bible study. They would have a prophetic word for each other. He says, therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place, and everyone is speaking in tongues, won't you? I mean, imagine a newcomer walked in here, first day in church. They came in, and here we are all in one place, and we're all just doing our own things. We all decided to just speak in tongues and ignore everybody else. They would go out and say, like, that was, the lunatics have taken over the asylum. That is what has happened there, right? <laughs> but, when you're in a smaller group, you know when there's visitors there or not. And then he says here, it says, the church that meets in their home, Philippians 1-2. Actually, I originally had lots of verses there, because it says it, but the media people told me it was too much, so I took it away. But the, because it says that lots of times, greet this person and the church that meets in their home, greet that person. You see, there's the whole people of God if you really, really want to grow strong in your faith, there's three parts. There is your own personal relationship with God that you need to develop on your own. Then there is a small community of believers that you need to be part of, a house church, a small group, a gateway group, a life group, a mission team, whatever it may be, a small group of believers that you can build friendships with and you can grow in your faith together as a family. And then there's a whole church where all the small groups of believers come together and as one people, as one body, we worship one Father together and receive His blessings to us and His Word to us. And that's why in the Bible, we also see leaders and followers. We don't have time to go into it all, but you can look it up. You'll find out it says a lot when there was a problem. They called the apostles and the elders together. The apostles and the elders. The elders were like, when, if you read the Bible, the elders are, is another word for pastors. They're shepherds. It doesn't mean they're better than anybody else. It just means their gift 
is to be a leader. Somebody else's gift might be to make the coffee, okay? If nobody makes the coffee, then leaders can strut about all they want, but they're not going to get any coffee. And, if, and, and if, if everybody's making the coffee, but there's no leaders, then chaos reigns in the church, right? So we had, and then of course, apostles were trans, local leaders and consultants. Leaders, and that's the, that's the church. That is the church. It's a body. It's a bride. It's a flock. It's a family. That is what it's about. And if you are not connected with a small group of people, today is the final launch day of our next 10-week small group semester. When you go out there, you can go to the Discover Gateway wall and find out about the groups we have. Not only the groups that meet during the week, but if you're a, if you're a young person, our Accelerate Youth on a Friday night, we have, of course, Gateway Kids on Sunday morning. Whatever your age, whatever your background, there is some, there, there is some group that you can connect with and you can grow as a Christian in. I want to just finish this by showing you one more. I'm not showing you a lot of Scripture today. One more passage of Scripture. And it basically takes everything we've said and pulls it together in one episode. Let's watch this. Read this. Acts 2. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church. Not baptized and then we never saw them ever again but baptized and added to the church that day. About 3,000, this was an exciting church. The most we've ever done in one day is 50 people. Can you imagine baptizing, can you imagine the length of the service? 3,000 people. All the believers devoted themselves. They didn't say, I'm not going back to the small group because nobody phoned me this week to ask how I was doing. No, they made a, I'm going back because I want to be a part of this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in meals around the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and what miracles are part of the church. Let's read on. And in the next one, it says this, and all the believers met together in one place, the whole church, and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared their money with those in need. There was practical help. They were a family. They worshiped together in the temple, big church, each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, small church, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. If you want to ask me, Mar Martin, what kind of church would you like Gateway to be? That's the kind of church I would like Gateway to be. My ambition is to see this community of believers become like that community of believers and live in the fullness of all of the blessings of God. But it doesn't happen if it's just me that wants it. If we all want it, if we devote ourselves to the blessings that God has invested in His church, then we will begin to take
least of the, of the pristine church that Jesus set up a way back at the beginning. Can you say amen, church? Come on, let's stand together. I want to lead us in a prayer. We're going to pray for our church, for the church in this city, and then for the church worldwide. So let's just lift up our hands together. I, I don't want to just say the prayer. I want to lead us in it. So we're saying it in one accord. So let's pray together. Father God, I thank you that you have placed me in your family, your community, your church. Bless this church with your spirit, your guidance, and your provision. Bless your church in this city, in this nation, and throughout this world. May Jesus continue to build his church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. In Jesus' name, 